Yo, this is Pastor Tito, and welcome to another episode of the Revolutionary Podcast. you why are you here listening to me now my prayer is that you're looking to learn more about God and a lot of times the biggest temptation for people is to learn something new it's like I think I know that I've covered that what's the new thing what's difficult is that the new that we have to learn is really something old we just have to go deeper into the things that we already know to realize there's more to it than that. And that's what we're going to do in today's text. Today, um, there's a theme of, that we're going to see. For those of you, if you watched last week, which you saw a little bit of that clip, um, we're going through the book of Acts. And one of, the, one of the things I love about this kind of study, and all right, I'm going to be real, there's a part I hate. Can I start with the hate? I'm going to start. There's something that I hate about this. There's something that I hate about doing a book of the Bible, cruising through it week by week, verse by verse, or chunk by chunk. I hate it because it's hard, okay? I'm just gonna, I ain't gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. I hate it because it's hard. Because sometimes I look at a text, I'm like, this is the, this? What am I gonna do with this? And so I, I, it's, not, it's, it's not easy. It's not. And it's hard because sometimes I'm looking at it and I'm worried about you. I was like, oh, bro, I think I think well, we're week 492 of, you know, series number. I was like, oh my God. And so it's, I know it, it could be mundane, it could be drawn out. And then sometimes there's just things that just don't look super inspiring, and it's hard. It's hard for you to go through. It's hard for me to listen to because, you know, it's easier um, for me to tell you a bunch of, uh, you know, stories and, and this and that versus being anchored. And there's nothing wrong with stories. I share those. There's nothing wrong with experiences. I do those. But it's so hard to just be anchored to a text, you know? Listen, I'm a whole lot funnier than y'all think, all right? I am. But I, but I have to, like, really, mm, you know, because I don't want to distract from what's most important. And so, and I, I use it sparingly, and sometimes it just comes out because I'm just having fun doing it. And so, I know it's hard, but one of the things that makes it worthwhile, and how many of us know sometimes, hey, things that are worthwhile are difficult. Yep, things that are worthwhile are not easy. And so, one of the things that I love about doing this, though, which makes it worthwhile to me, is that you get to see just how everything connects. Because so many times we look at a, a text, we look at a little verse, and then we build this whole understanding on just the isolated text, and we don't see how the text fits in the context of not just the chapter, but the book, and how this connects to this, and this connects to that. And oh my gosh, and so the plot thickens, right? And so we see all those things. That's Michael's favorite phrase every time we do this. And so that part is super cool to see. And then, wow, we zoom in, we zoom out, and we see the big picture of God and how it all matters. And then boring texts become, whoa, like I would have flipped through that, cruised through that. I never would have picked that as something. And in and of itself, there was so much beauty in it. And so we're going to look at a text today that a lot of times gets super isolated. It's actually a little bit of controversial kind of a text. And so it gets super isolated instead of seeing the big picture. And that's my biggest prayer that we all see today. And, um, and so with that, there's a theme of waiting that's going to be in this text. Now, I still, to this day, haven't met somebody who just enjoys waiting. Anybody know somebody who just loves to wait? 
right? And fill in the blank, you know? I got to do this, but I got to wait, you know? I got to wait to do this. I got to wait to experience this. I got to wait. And so it's more gratifying, and we all know that, right? Isn't that the phrase, patience is a virtue, right? Because we know that it is going to be and feel so much better to save our money and pay cash for something rather than just going to debt and feel it now, right? We know that it feels good to have it now, but it feels so much better to wait. There's a whole lot of things that's important to wait. But here's the thing, though. There's certain things that we don't have to wait for. Like, and, and it's, it would be really sad to know that here you are waiting for something that has already arrived and that you can experience now. And you're sitting here like waiting. And that actually happened to the people we're going to look at today. There were people who were left waiting for something that had arrived. It actually happened to me this week, too, the irony of it all. And that's why I saw that and I experienced that. So it was cool. And so I, I bought some uh, pillows on Amazon talking about waiting. I don't know how many of you guys like don't even like doing that. Like you're always updating that cart, right? Updating that cart. That can be problematic. I know it's addicting. All right. But so I bought these pillows for my couch. Some of you, I saw it. I shared it on Instagram. It was these pillows with one is Bucks colors for Alicia. One's Dolphins colors. Our names are on them with a number. And uh, I got excited. I wanted to put it in my office. And so there's the couch stuff, you know. And so I'm, I'm waiting for it. And I, I, when I ordered it, it said it was going to get here like August 28th to the August 30th. So between today and Tuesday, right? Um, today and Tuesday. And so I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I checked it one more time. This is double check. And it said it was shipped, but it's still same August 28th. And uh, I was like, all right, whatever. And so um, I, for whatever reason, I was like, you know what? I, I just want to go outside. Let me, let me just go outside, go for a quick little walk. I walk outside and there's the package sitting at my door. And normally Amazon is really good at updating, says delivered, right? And you get that notification delivered. And I was like, no, that's not. And I looked at my phone. It still said it was due later. You had to wait. But there it is at my door. And if I wouldn't have gone outside, I would have been waiting for something that had already arrived. Right? And, I, and normally, I'm, we're at the, we hardly ever go in and out the front door. We go in through the garage. I don't know if anybody else does that as well. Like never through the door, always through the garage. And so the front door is not a passage that we always look at. And so if I wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have seen the package. And I would have been waiting still another whole week, who knows, for something to arrive that I already had. And that is exactly what happens to a group of people that Paul meets, where they were waiting for something that had already arrived. And they got pretty excited when they realized here it was. And so let's look at that. It could be a really difficult one. It's a controversial text. But let's, there is a beauty when we zoom all the way out. Um, I pray that the Holy Spirit can show you that. So let's check it out. Let's read together. Acts 19. As we're going to look at today, what happened when a group of people who were waiting specifically for the Savior of the world to show up, and when they find out that not only that did he arrive, but what he had accomplished. So let's continue the story. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We were talking about a man named Apollos and his whole story, how he started. He took off. He was in Ephesus, went to Corinth. And now let's look at verse 19, 1 through 10. We're reading it straight through. Here we go. So while Apollos was in Corinth... Paul traveled throughout the interior regions, and he came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He says, no, they told him. "Um, We haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Well, then Paul says, into what were you baptized then, he asked them. Well, into John's baptism, they replied. 
So Paul said, listen, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling people that they should believe in the one who, were, who was to come after him, and that is in Jesus. And so he filled in a blank that they did not have. He, I'm sorry, he filled in a blank that they had. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the key word, Lord Jesus. This is their conversion. They just got saved, these group of people, because to make him Lord is the, that's a key phrase. So they were baptized now into the name of the Lord Jesus. And while Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Now, there were about 12 men in all. Now, I'm going to just read the next section because it actually connects. Paul then enters the synagogue after this moment, and he speaks boldly. This is what he always does for those of us that have been doing this. He always goes to the Jews first. And he spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And he's talking about Jesus and the gospel. But when some became hardened and would not believe, and they began to slander capital the way, all right, that was the term that the Christians were known by back then. When they would slander, make fun of, criticize the way in front of the crowd, Paul withdrew from them. He just, all right, stepped out. He, taking the disciples and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for how long? Two years. But look at this. So that all of the residents of Asia, not just of that city, Ephesus, all of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord, heard the gospel of Jesus. All right, so what is that and how? Already right there, right? You look at that, I mean, like, there's a lot of question marks. There's a lot of things. So let's kind of zoom in and let's check this out. So the one thing that I want us to process, for all of us, if you've been with us for a little bit, if not, I got to bring you up to date. Luke just now in Acts 19, he documents the fourth Pentecost experience in the book of Acts. Fourth. So there's been four moments when the, something happens, the Holy Spirit is poured out, and people begin to speak in tongues and begin to prophesy. Prophesy just means that they are literally declaring the glories of God. They're, guys, we were doing that a minute ago. I know when we think of prophecy, we tend to always think of, you know, in about two days and, you know, four hours from now, this is going to happen to you, right? And we tend to think of prophecy like that. But, and, and prophecy can include foretelling, like telling something that is about to happen. But prophecy is also foretelling. It's just telling you what you know. Guys, you were just all singing, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, Lord, you are worthy. Do you guys know that we were all prophesying right now of the glories of God, of what he's done? And so they were doing it in their own language. And in tongues just means that God gave them this supernatural ability to be able to do the same thing in a language they didn't know. I mean, that's, that's crazy. And, and there was a reason for that. And so only four times do we have this action happen in the book of Acts. Now, there's a great assumption that every time, you know, well, when you're saved, this has to happen. And some people think, well, look, when people get saved, they do this. But Luke is very careful about what he includes and what he doesn't. Now, just because it doesn't happen in other moments doesn't mean anything. We do know later, if you read the book of Corinthians, we do know that there's some element in the church of Corinth where some are speaking in tongues, and there's a little bit of a controversy and some really bad problems in there. But we can talk about that one another day. And, but when Paul was in, Luke doesn't say that this happened in Corinth. Why does Luke focus on four? Four Pentecost moments. This doesn't happen all the time. Only four specific 
things. And that matters. And so here's what this moment actually tells us. The first time is this. Look, this actually confirms Paul's uh, apostleship. See, the only time this ever happens in the book of Acts, when someone is being, uh, when the Holy Spirit falls down and they're being speaking in tongues and, and they're uh, prophesying, only happens at the hand of an apostle. The only time it happens. And so the very first time is in the book of Acts. We see it in chapter 2, where it falls and it happens on the apostles themselves and those in the upper room, about 120, where the Holy Spirit pours down and uh, the Spirit of the living God now has not only forgiven sins, but fills them with the Spirit. And then from there, anytime it happens beyond that, it's at the hand of an apostle, Peter. Peter goes and it happens in two other places where Peter is. Up until now, this has not happened with Paul yet. So the fact that Luke is saying is like, yo, this is the first time that it happened with Paul. And this is significant because it shows that, yo, Paul is not just some guy, that God has chosen him to be an apostle because this only happened at the hand of an apostle, which was a, you know, not everybody can have one. I know sometimes today you may hear of an, an apostle this, an apostle that, and those terms are used differently. And so they may have the same name and it might sound the same, but it just means something completely different. All right. There was a group of highly selected people that God chose, not because they were special, better than anyone else. God chose these 12 including Paul. And so this matters, guys. This is why so much of Paul's letters have so much weight in the New Testament compared to others, because there was something significant that, that they see. God has chosen Paul for something, and God's hand is on Paul. And because they saw what Paul did, not really he didn't do it. It was God through him. They said, yo, there is something on Paul. It is God. And so now all of his letters actually had this sense of weight and authority and stamp from God. All right. That's why so much of his letters are in the New Testament, why they were included. And so it includes right there his sense of um, apostleship because there was a, a delayed outpouring. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I got to catch y'all up. And so this happens in Samaria chapters before, years before, as we were reading, literally the book of Acts is nothing but a documentary of how the church began or its first like 30, 40 years. And so this happened in Samaria as a guy named Philip goes and literally revival breaks out in Samaria and people are getting saved and believing in Christ Jesus. And Peter shows up to say, hold on, I, I got to check this out for myself. I need to go. And so Peter goes and he shows up. And as he's there, he prays for them, lays it, and then boom, the same thing happens, and it's significant. I'm going to tell you why it was significant. And so there was, even though there was revival, there was a delayed outpouring. And if those of us, we've been looking at Paul's missionary journeys over the last month and a half. And you know one of the things that we don't see? This. People are getting saved for years. For years, people are getting saved in all these places around the world. And then right now, why at this specific moment does this happen? So there's this delayed outpouring. What happened to Peter's happening to Paul. But guys, really, the big thing is this. And so, so many times the focus, everybody zooms in on, well, you know, if you believe, then that means you got to receive, and that means this happens. And so when do we have the Holy Spirit? And kind of Paul actually kind of gives us a hint there. He says, listen, when you... Notice the question he asks is like, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So a lot of times we people, there's actually, I just saw a massive debate with a very influential social media figure, uh, Christian, who was saying, listen, you can be saved and not have the Holy Spirit. 
Yikes. That's, that's, that's out of, I'm here to tell you that's out of bounds. That's out of bounds there. Because once you are, there's two different things between you are saved and then you are filled and God is continuing to move in your life. And, and it's so careful. You have to be so careful with, with some of these things. But so some say, and there's a lot of Christians who wonder, well, do I have the Holy Spirit? Because I, there's certain things that are happening in other people and they're not happening with me. Guys, listen, never, 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 never. Warning. Okay. Warning, warning, warning. Do not determine truth based on your experience first. Got it? Don't, and now experience matters. Experience is included. But we don't lead with experience. Experience follows. But we never determine truth based on our experience. We take our experience to the truth and let the truth interpret our experience. Be very careful, very careful with that. So experience matters. And so here, guys, this, this is happening, and there's a lot going on, but there is something, and we get caught up in that little debate. Wait, so is it? Am I supposed to? If I don't, what I have? And we miss actually the whole point that Luke was trying to make here. And the point is not if you believe you receive and you're supposed to, you know, talk in tongues, you don't have. That's not it. That's not the focus because Luke would have made it the focus. The fact that Luke only highlights four Pentecost moments is to tell us an amazing fulfillment of what God has done. And I'm gonna tell you what those are. So guys, backtrack. The Jews for years prior to Jesus were very concerned about a couple of things. See, the Jews believed that uh, God is going to do something in the world. They believed in the promise of Abraham when years ago, God says to one man, he says, through you, I will make a people. And out of that one people, out of one nation, I will be a blessing to the nations of the world. And he would tell him and show that through you, Abraham, there was going to be a seed, a Messiah that will come out. And this was a literally a generation after generation. The Jews believed God is going to do something significant through us. Us. Why us? We're nothing but former slaves. We're nobodies. And that was the point. God loves to use, use nobodies. And so if you were ever right now insecure about who you are, you fit the category. All right. God loves to use, uh, you know, people who are, and we all are, by the way, just for being real. All right. The prideful ones just don't know it, but they're the same. All right. They just don't know it, but don't mean it. And so guys, he, got, he does for years, the Jews knew God is going to save us. We know it. We believe it. We would look to, we know there's a Messiah that would come. So the Jews knew we're going to be good. God's going to take care of us. That's what they thought. But they had questions. Well, but not everybody who's in our crew is a Jew. There's some who are non-Jewish people who have adopted the Jewish faith. We call those God-fears. We've been mentioning that. If you've been with me for this year, we've been talking about that term a lot. A God-fear is a non-Jew who would believe in the Lord God, who would believe in the God of the, the Hebrews. They would adopt the Jewish religion. They would adopt even Jewish customs. They would do it all, except they drew the line on circumcision. They're like, listen, bro, just keep your knife to yourself. All right, give me, I, I, I'll eat some locks. I'll eat this. I'll do that. Maybe grow up my curl, but I'm keeping my pants on. All right, and so there was a, like a line there. And the, for circumcision, that was like a key thing. And so it's like, look, I'll do it all, but I'll do it all, but. And so God, was, the Jews were confused, like saying, what's going to happen to these guys? Because they're not fulfilling the law perfectly. So are they in? Or are they out? You know, like they're on the, they, they got the jersey on, but are they on the team? Y'all following me? So they were worried. The, the Jews had questions about, what, what, what about them? And then the Samaritans, I mentioned that phrase a minute ago. That's a big theme. The Samaritans, they had questions about them. Because the Samaritans used to be Jews. But, 
And God, for the longest time, says, listen, you know, nothing against, it wasn't racist at all, but he would just say, listen, you gotta, you gotta like lock this, this culture, this bloodline in right, because there's something that I'm gonna do through this people group. So it wasn't anything, you know, crazy. We can talk about that one another day. But there was something about the blood that we needed to keep the blood pure. And so there were Jews who were conquered by the Assyrians and they intermixed with them. They were conquered. And the Samaritans were now half-bloods, okay? They were mudbloods, right? They were mudbloods. They were half-mixed. And so, and so the thing with them is now the Jews were like, all right, well, but the God, we are, okay, Jews, all right, I guess we're good, right? But, yo, these God-fears, you know, they, they, they got the jersey on, but I don't know if they're on the team. And then the Samaritans are like, yo, they're, they're, their blood is tainted. So they're, not, they're, they're half in and half out, and they got their own set of rules, and so I don't know what about them. And then the biggest question was, Everybody else, non-Jews. No, I mean, you know, non-Jews who don't practice. Look, look, look at that. So in one group, you got some that kind of practice. And kind, and, but then what about those that don't do anything? They don't have the Jewish customs. They don't ad- adopt any of those things. They don't believe. What about them? Or is there any hope for them? There was questions. Four groups that Jews wondered, how would they be saved? Do you think it's interesting that Jesus also talks about four groups right when he's about to leave? In his ascension, he says, he goes to the apostles, he goes to them, and right before he takes off, he tells them, a group of people who believed yet still still doubted in themselves, he goes and says, all right, guys, I want you to go and be my faithful witnesses to what four groups? In Jerusalem, in Judea, the nation of Israel, in Samaria, and what? And to the ends of the earth, which is the title that we've been looking at this whole year, to the ends of the earth. Four groups that he says, go. And these are the same four groups that Jews like Peter and them were wondering, how is that going to work? And then, isn't it ironic, we have how many Pentecost experiences that Luke writes? Four. And guess what Pentecost, each one of those Pentecost experiences checks off each and every one of those boxes. Let's do the first one. Acts chapter 2. The the Holy Spirit falls down on on the first Pentecost in Jerusalem. And the only people who got saved were only Jews. The church was only Jewish for the first few years. God was doing something. And so the Jewish, only the Jewish people get saved. They're like, oh my gosh, this is what we've been waiting for. This is what we've been waiting for. And here it is. This is it. I can't believe we are the generation that got to experience this and what God has done. We, God has redeemed Israel, and it is not anything natural. It is all spiritual, and God has made a people of us. Oh, my gosh, it happened. And then they're like, all right, what about everybody else? Acts 2, the Jews are saved. What did the other one? Jesus said, go to Jerusalem. What was the next group? Judea. Judea is now the nation of Israel. That's Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. Cornelius was a God-fearer. He was somebody who loved the Jewish nation. He gave, he gave money to the Jewish nation. He considered himself one like that. And he gave and loved the Jewish people, loved the Jewish God, and he fervently prayed. And, and I mean, he had a real relationship, and he was waiting for the promised Messiah. And so when Peter goes over to Cornelius' house, guess what happens there? The same thing that happened to the Jews. And for the, for the apostles and them in the church, this were confirmations. Literally, when Cornelius got saved and the same experience happened to the God-fears that happened to Jerusalem to happen to the Jews, they were like, no way, they're in. Oh my gosh, the, the God-fears are in? They didn't have to follow all the rules and get, they, they're in too? Oh, this is amazing. That was Acts 10. And so what was it? Jerusalem, 
Judea. What was the other one I said? Samaria. Two chapters before that was Acts 8, Acts chapter 8, where again, Philip goes and he's telling everybody about Jesus and they're responding. And so no wonder Peter must have been, wait, what? Revival is breaking out in Samaria. They're, they're believing in Jesus. They're getting, no, I got to see this for myself. And so Peter shows up. And once Peter showed up, re, the Holy Spirit fell down in the presence of Peter so that Peter can affirm and say, guys, I was there. Peter was there in Acts chapter 2 when it happened in Jerusalem. He was there with Cornelius. He was there with the Samaritans. And so the witness of Peter is a confirmation saying, guys, you're not going to believe this. Yo, the Samaritans are in too. God has accepted God has brought in the Samaritans. Bro, I know, right? The Samaritans, who would have thought, right? I thought they were toast, bro. I thought, you know, we were kind of being nice to nice. You know, they were going to go to hell, so might as well make this experience as pleasant as possible because it's going to get nasty later, you know? No, they're in too. God accepted them. Oh, my gosh. But there was one group left. Who was the group left? Everybody else. Everybody else. And who does Paul happen to run into? but a group of non-Jews who don't practice the Jewish religion, who heard about this Messiah, and they were waiting for something to happen. And the, yo, timing is everything. Some of you guys know. Alicia is very famous for her chocolate chip cookies. Yes or no? Some of you, Antonio loves them. Listen, those cookies are insane. Why? Because it's all about timing. I mean, she buys the same kind of cookies anywhere else that you get at the store. I know it's kind of like maybe outing her because some of y'all actually thought she made them by scratch. And she, I mean, she totally could throw down like that. But she buys them at the store. But it's the, it's the timing of when you put it in. It's the timing of when you take it. It's all about timing. And it's perfectly crunchy on the outside, moist on the inside. I'm a fat kid at heart always. Okay? I'm a fat kid at heart. So here's the thing. It's about timing. Some of us knew as we were reading, Paul wanted to go to Asia three, four years prior to this. We read this in his second missionary journey, and the Holy Spirit said, no, 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 not yet. Don't go to Asia yet. Don't go to Asia yet. Don't go to Asia yet. And he led him to go somewhere else, and he went to Europe first. And look at the sequence of events as he goes to Europe. And then he meets with so-and-so. And he meets with so-and-so. And he meets with Aquila and Priscilla. And then you know, with Apollos. And this and that. And all this. And then boom, here he is at the perfect time where he's going to meet these 12 individuals at the perfect moment. Guys, let me just pause and tell you right now. There's a lot of things that you're probably waiting for on God. I've always heard the phrase that God is never late. Right? He's always on time. It might just not be your timing, all right? But there's just something about the sovereignty of God that I'm just, if you guys are in a waiting moment, let me just tell you, yo, God's driving the car. Can you just trust him? You, you don't see the GPS. You don't see the notifications. But can I just tell you, he knows what he's doing. His timing is always perfect. In fact, it said that Jesus came and died on the, in, you know, for us at the right time. That's something there. So time is something that some of y'all just need to... And just give it to God, let it go, and trust him even with your time. But anyway, so we're down now to the last one, guys. So the Jews are in. The, everybody who's in Judea representing the nation of Israel, even non-Jewish people who've adopted the Jewish culture, they're in. The Samaritans are in. What about the Gentiles? And here, Paul. When Paul and this happens, this is a sign to say, guys, even the Gentiles 
And the Gentiles is everybody. Now, these are not four experiences, guys, that happen every time. They're not. These were like one-time experiences that were meant to say, well, you know, this happened to some Jews to let everybody know any Jew who calls on the name of Jesus could be saved. And it happened to some God-fears to know that any God-fearer can be saved. It happened to some Samaritans to know that all Samaritans can be saved. And this happened to some non-Jewish Gentile people to know that any non-Jewish Gentile person could be saved. Let me ask you a question. Are you a Jew? No. So there be, better be a smile on your face to know, like saying, guys, you're welcome to. God, you're welcome to. Anyone, it doesn't matter, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus can be saved. And that is what this was. This was a fulfillment of saying it is God is doing something miraculous in the world. And so this not only, this Pentecost moment is meant to confirm Paul's apostleship, but it's meant to confirm, guys, Jesus' accomplishment. That he literally has and is doing something in the world. And it is not isolated to a select few. It's not isolated based on your behavior, on how good of a Jew you can be. It is not isolated on your DNA. It is isolated not on this blood, but on his blood. The blood of Jesus is the only thing now. And so remember, what, what city are we in? Ephesus, right? Paul is in Ephesus, and this happens in Ephesus. And let's go look at a letter now when he writes to this Ephesian church, and look at how everything connects. I'm going to read it to you. We don't have it on the screen. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read these, these verses. And now look at who he's talking to. He's talking to probably these people, those 12, that eventually all their families got saved and so many others. And look what, how he's bringing them back to this moment to help them to understand what happened in that city. What happened there? Look what God is doing. Check this out. So remember, and guys, that's a good thing. This is why I know I told you a minute ago. I was, sometimes it's hard to talk about certain things. And one of the things that I'm struggling with today is, listen, today I'm going to say something that didn't shock you. And I already, look, online, let me talk to you for a second, all right? Um, I can't see you. Uh, you should see people's faces. Um, I just said something that as Christians, we say, I hear a lot, right? Hey, God has made it possible for you to be saved. Okay, I've heard that like a million times. What else you got? And so I'm going to be honest with you. I understand. And I wasn't, you know, ready to receive this what? And so like, you know, we just scored a touchdown and everyone's like freaking out right now. I was, I was, I knew that wasn't going to happen because how many times as Christians do we talk about that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, yada, yada. I know it. I, uh, well, okay, I got it. But we think, and these are one of the things that we need to remember and to keep digging deeper in because it is not a truth. It's like, ah, that's cute. What's next? No, we go, we never graduate from the fact that God, what he's done to save us, we sink deeper into the truth that God has saved us. We grew deeper into that. We don't graduate from that to something else. We grow deeper in it. So that's what he's doing to the Ephesians now. And I pray he's doing it to us. So check this out. He says, remember at one time you were Gentiles. Notice that he's highlighting that word because the Ephesian Pentecost was about the acceptance, the affirmation of the salvation of any Gentiles. Remember that you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised because by those who were circumcised, which is done in the flesh by hands. Again, notice the distinctions. The Jews were like, hey, if you're not circumcised, you're not in, right? You're not in, you're not in, you're out. And so he's like, look, you guys were labeled. You guys were cut off. You guys were assumed. There's no hope for you. There's no hope for you. There was that assumption. There's no hope for you. But he says in verse 12, at that time, at that time, you were, look at this, without Christ. 
excluded from the citizenship of Israel. So you're not in the nation. Foreigners to the covenant of promise, all right? Without hope, without God in the world. Guys, can you paint a more pathetic picture of a situation? Like you had no hope, none whatsoever. Foreigners, strangers. At that time, you were without God in, and without hope in the world. But now, now look, he's bringing to what happened and reminding them. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's telling them that, that you've been brought near, like you've been accepted. You've been welcomed into the family of God. I mean, bro, you guys were way out there. And no, you've been brought near into the family of God. For Jesus is our peace, who has made both groups, what groups? Jews and Gentiles, all right? Jews and non-Jews. He's made both groups into one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. What is the dividing wall of hostility? The, the culture stuff, the behavior, the, all those things. No, God tore that down and he made himself one. He made himself of no effect. The law consisting of commands expressed in regulations. So like, it doesn't matter anymore about these things. And so he says that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, resulting in peace between us, but not only between us. It goes more than that. He did this for what purpose? So that he might reconcile both groups in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. You know what other hostility wall God tore down? The one between us and him. All of us and him. The wall of hostility is sin itself. No, on Jesus, he tore that wall down. He tore this, the wall between us, the wall between us and him. He tore it all down when he rose from the dead. I mean, guys, I'm telling you, listen, the stone is not the only thing that rolled away. There was a physical stone that rolled away, but there was a spiritual stone that was rolled away. It was the wall between each other, between us and him. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away. There's a term again, and peace to those who are near, even the Jews. And he's telling them, yo, you Jews, you thought you were near, but listen, you were still far too. That peace was for all of us. For though we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then listen and look at these phrases. You once were foreigners, strangers, aliens. But now, he says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. But now you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. So guys, here he's trying to remind these people all right, what happened? What did Jesus accomplish? He, he did two things. It was instant salvation. And so he says, listen, that was you. When you were without Christ, you were without hope. But you were far off. But you know what? The power and the blood of Jesus brought those who were far off and just zoom, and brought them all the way near. Guys, listen, you and I can't get to God, but his love can reach us. His love reaches. We could not go to him. So what did he do? He came to us because of that. And what does he proclaim? Not punishment, but he offers what? Peace. Peace between us and him. He's talking about restoration. Notice now he went from foreigners to now members of the household of God. Look at how far we've come. Guys, don't we love rags, rag to riches stories? Don't we love those? Especially here in America, right? Especially, we love it when somebody goes from the bottom and makes it all the way to the top, right? That's inspiring. That's amazing. Guys, there is no greater rags to riches story than when God takes sinners and turns them into sons and daughters. None. 
There is no other greater transformation than from God taking sinners and turning them into sons and daughters of the living God. And notice that it gets better than that. It's not just that there's instant salvation, but he says he's taking now all of us and building one thing, one thing. We're all members of the household of God, and that's sanctification that goes ongoing. But guys, what what happened to these Ephesians, Paul is helping them to do again. And it's something that we have to do, even though you might have not done this, but I'm hoping you kind of get a better understanding of this word, all right? Being baptized. Y'all catch that word? Now, when I say being baptized online, tell me, what do you think? Guys, what do you think? All right? What do you think? When I say baptized, you think, what, what image do you see? Somebody, water, right? Something inv- involving water, right? You know, it's either a person, a little baby, right? Or something, you know, sprinkle, right? Something, right? You, we, we see that. And I think we've all known that. And so you get baptized is what? To be baptized is to, the word actually means to sink and to soak. That's what that word means. And so we do it symbolically, right? Some of us have been baptized. Some of us haven't. Helping you out. You don't have to be baptized to be saved. You don't need to do that. But the reason why people get baptized on the outside is to show what has happened on the inside. But there also is significance to doing it on the outside if you have the opportunity. And if you ever want to get water baptized and never done it, you just got to go online and talk to us. Let us know. We'll set a day up and we'll do it for you. Whether in service, out, I'll make it happen. All right? But when he says being baptized, all right, I want you guys to think more than just, oh, we're just getting kind of wet for a minute. All right? Because that is a symbolic thing of something that happens spiritually. Because when you believe, notice that he said they only knew of the baptism of John. What did that mean? See, all John said was, guys, this is a Messiah coming. And it's soon. And so you need to prepare your hearts, repent, recognize you're a sinner because God's not going to save anybody who doesn't feel like they need saving. And so they were like, all right, we're waiting for the Messiah. We're waiting for the Messiah. And they were told, "Uh, why are you waiting? He showed up. He did it all. He died on the cross. He lived the perfect life. He rose from the dead and he poured out his spirit. Look how he's fulfilled all of these things. And so notice now they said they were baptized in the Lord Jesus. And that wasn't just water baptism. Guys, Baptism is, again, it it means to sink and to soak, and you're dipped in something better than just water. I'm going to tell you the three things that that you can be, we are baptized in for those as believers. First off, when you are, when you believe in Christ instantly, though you may not get splashed with anything, you are baptized into the blood of Christ. When you are baptized, when when you believe in Jesus, instantly your spirit is baptized into the blood of Christ, and that is for the forgiveness of your sins. That is what happens when you believe. You are washed clean by the blood of Jesus. That is the first one for forgiveness. And then there's something else. You're also baptized into the body of Christ. Not just the blood of Christ. You're baptized into the body of Christ. And that is for family. That's what he was telling them here. Guys, when you believe, this is why we always make a step. That if you get baptized here, we give you those steps to be able to tell you. Now here's another one to make um, uh, a step into the family of God. Because this is what you've been given. You've now been given a new, notice Paul is saying these things, you are given other brothers and sisters, not to replace, don't go that far, not to replace the others, but it is a wonderful family that helps you to grow, that is meant to grow in your faith. That's what church is. That's what a church is supposed to be. And so you're baptized in the blood for forgiveness. You're baptized into the body for family, but you're also baptized in, baptized in the spirit of Christ. And that's fire. That's what that is. And fire is more than just some supernatural, ecstatic expression of something. The fire of the living God just speaks of purity. It speaks of life. 
There is life there. There is now, God just doesn't wash your cup and clean you and put you now on his desk as a display. No, he actually fills you with himself. The fire of God is the fire, passion, burning, the hot love of God. And it is not just some of God. It is all of him in you, which is an amazing mystical union, which we're going to do and talk about in the Truth Project. What does that mean? That God, the God of the universe, dwells in me. We're going to talk about that later on. But you don't have to understand it to know it, guys. This is the thing that you and I are called to be continually baptized in. Because I know when we dunk somebody in water, we got to pull them up because, you know, they'll drown, right? And so I just can't keep you there. It's like, no, not yet, Marissa. No, not yet. I can't do that, right? Eventually, we got to bring you back up. But I want you to know that even though you may come out of the water, if you're a believer in Christ, you're still there. You're there. And God has, uh, you know, the, the enemy can't snatch you out of the blood of Christ. The enemy can't snatch you out. If you've been born again, you can't be unborn. You can be unalive. That's something different. But you can't be unborn. And so what God has done and is doing is something wonderful and beautiful. We just have to continue to partner with that. Because for some of us, for some of us, we can be saved, but we don't tend to, remember, baptize is to sink, not drown, and it means to soak. Guys, you and I are supposed to, right now, my biggest prayer this morning is that we're soaking in this truth of what, who is God and what has he done? that we're soaking in the truth. We're supposed to do that when we gather together. You're supposed to do it when you go alone, that you get into the word of God to soak in the truth, to grow into the knowledge that you may grow continually. Like Paul even tells the Ephesians, that you may be rooted and grounded in the love of God, in the the width and the height and the depth of all of it. Keep soaking it up because the more you soak it up, the more you are transformed by it. This is why there's an illusion that people say about baptism and the images of a pickle. All right. How do you turn a cucumber into a pickle? You have to submerge it in a substance. And, that's, and you leave it there until the, it soaks up the substance. And then it's transformed from a cucumber to a pickle. Right? Some of us in our Christian faith, we don't grow as much. Because how long would it take for me to turn a cucumber into a pickle if I just bloop, bloop, you know? And, and just kind of, just kind of, swirl around in it, you know, and just in just a little bit. It's going to take forever, if not, if not ever, right? And so the thing is, guys, we're supposed to constantly soak in, grow into those three things, the blood of Christ. What has he done for us? Who is he? The family of Christ, the blood of Christ, the spirit of the living God, which is the spirit also of truth. All of these things, we're constantly meant to soak it up, sink in it. Can I use a different word that Jesus said? Abide. Jesus himself said, abide in my truth. Remain in my truth. Some of us are going to be like, all right, I said truth, but I want it. No, no. You know, the spirit wants to say, no, 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 stay here. Now, the spirit is not going to force us. If we don't want to follow the truth, he'll let us do whatever we want, but he's waiting. He's waiting. And the more we seek into the truth of who he is, and the more we do that, he transforms us into the likeness and character and nature of Christ. More and more and more. Listen, guys, for those of us as believers, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, we were all far off, and we've been brought near, but we were formerly far off. But listen, we all got a far away to go. We all got a far away to go, and that's okay. But the, po- the point is to keep growing. We don't want to be like these Ephesians who had very little information. I'm like, you know what? Apparently there's some Messiah. I'm just going to keep doing, I'm going to just keep doing me. I'm just going to, you know, whatever happens, I guess I'll find out. No, Paul's like, no, you, why do you need to wait for something that has already arrived? Why wait for something that has already arrived? Here it is. Unpack 
the gift of eternal life that God has given us. And so, guys, I want to be able to give you something to continue to soak in. And the fact is this, that we, it happened to the Ephesians. It happened to all of us because, like we said a minute ago, none of us are fully Jewish. And none of us practice any of these customs. And this is the beauty of the grace and nature of God. That he wants to bring people far off into near, into being closer. And so I want to just, I pray that we may soak up in this, in this phrase and this, listen, all. And I put all in big letters. Because this fourth Pentecost experience pretty much says, all are in. Okay, all in, all in, all in. That's what this means. And I want us to know, guys, look, all who receive Christ are revived and repurposed through the Holy Spirit. All who receive Christ are revived and repurposed in the Holy Spirit. I know as Christians, we use this term. You guys, you know, help me out, everybody. Have you ever heard the term as we talk about non-believers, we call them lost, right? Right, the lost, right? The lost. And we got to, God, God, give us a heart for the lost, right? We say those phrases. There's nothing bad with that. But be careful with that phrase. Because what does a lost person need? What is a lost? If you're lost, what do you need? You need directions. A lost person needs directions. And so a lost person needs to be directed to whom? It needs to be directed to Christ. But at the same, so there's nothing wrong with that phrase. They're lost. They need to be directed to Christ. But at the same time, we got to remember that just because they're lost doesn't mean they only need directions because uh, we are dead in our sins. And what do dead people need? They don't need directions, right? You, you can't give a, a dead person directions, right? And necessarily, what are they going to do with that? They need to be what? Revived. And that's the thing, guys, that I want you to understand. And man, if you just focused on this this one week, I think it would change you even more. Can you process the fact? Let me challenge the believers. What if you just spent a whole week lingering on the fact that you were far more beyond far that you could ever even begin to imagine. But yet here you are by the grace of God. You don't deserve to be here. You don't deserve this. If we just lingered in on that to see the, great, the greatness of the love of God, I think that would change us. And so God, not only are we revived though, but we are also what? Repurposed. Did you guys read Ephesians? Here he's saying, guys, not only were you revived, but now you are being made and built into a house. All of these former ingredients are now being brought together. And God is now repurposing you for something greater, to be a dwelling place for God. And guys, that is something amazing to see. And we all see repurposed stuff all the time. Some of us repurpose things around the house, right? Have you ever seen the even shows? I love to see those shows that repurpose trash, right? They take things, turn it around, and what was formerly worthless now is valuable, right? I've seen people take cars that were in the junkyard that were nothing and turn them into aquariums inside of their homes. You know, rich people too, you know. I don't know who got a, who got a, a car and just said, that's your aquarium now. That's a pretty cool aquarium. And so I've seen people do that. And so uh, one of the coolest things also is uh, how creative people are with um, cargo ship containers. You guys see? Have you guys ever seen people, they take old cargo ship containers and they turn them into a million things, right? There's pools. People turn them into pools. People turn them into businesses, right? People to, uh, here in, in Florida, well, I mean, in Tampa, we got um, Sparksman's Wharf. You guys seen all those that if you've ever been there? It's just nothing but shipping containers that have turned into restaurants, right? You have them that they're turned into sheds. They're turned into this. I've seen a, a, Star, uh, I've seen a Starbucks made out of former shipping containers and tiny houses. I've seen those too. Those are some pretty creative things, right? They stack them. They build them. They make some really creative homes out of shipping containers. But what, what did these shipping containers do? They were just ugly, 
dingy things that just carried a bunch of boxes on a big cargo ship. And now, where are they? They've been given new life. They've been given a second chance, and their purpose is now even more significant. Guys, I want to tell you that outside of Christ, can you find purpose? Yeah, but there's a limit to that. But in Christ, in Christ, you were, you know, to, to quote, I guess, uh, Toy Story 4, you know, you were trash, okay? Yeah, you know, you were trash. But now God has transformed you into something amazing. And that's what he has. He is taking us dead, rotting corpses and transformed us, revived us. And now he's doing something in the world. And guys, you and I get the glory and the honor and the privilege to be a part of it. That's what this is. This is more than just showing up and checking off a box for the week and getting my busy stuff. No, being a part of a church, being a faithful witnesses to God is to partner in, in a transformational effort of God's recreation in the world. There, that, that is an amazing purpose that we have in that. But there's a process to it. So you don't want to be, remember I kind of zoomed out. I read a, a random section that almost didn't feel like it fit right? But Luke read it. Um, We don't want to do what the Jews did with Paul in Ephesus, where he was talking to them about Jesus. And what did they do? They had a threefolded response. They hardened their hearts. They didn't believe. And they began to slander the way. Remember I said that? So they did. They hardened their heart, which means, ah, you know, they didn't believe, but their belief went to slander, criticizing the way criticizing Christians. And guys, you know why Christians used to be called the way? That was our original nickname. Do you know why? Because there was a way about Christians that was different than everybody else. There was a way about, there was a, there was a way that they talked. There was a way that they loved. There was a way that they lived that made everybody say, huh, that kind of sounds like Jesus. That kind of looks different. It's counterculture. And it's like, how are they doing this? There's, it's a new way of, of literally rich and poor interacting in a way that, that was not happening before. Men and women, young and old, interacting in a way that is foreign. It was different. There was a way about them. And guys, my biggest prayer is that there ought to be a way about us. That there's a way about the way we talk. A way about the way we live. A way about the way we think that should be marked differently more and more and more. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for all of us. And so they slandered the way. We can't do that. Rather, you know what we should do is do what the Ephesian Christians did next. Notice Paul says, all right, you don't want to listen? All right, I'm moving on. And he went to the hall of Tyrannus, all right, Tyrannosaurus Rex. I think it's kind of something like that. Guys, this was pretty insane. Paul goes to the hall of Tyrannus, which was a public forum back then. And every day for, he said, two years, Every day for two years, Paul didn't go anywhere but to the Hall of Tyrannus. And there in this public forum from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., this was siesta time for the, for the Ephesians, all right? It was siesta time. So no one was working. And so people just kind of did what they wanted to do. And so a lot of them would go to the forum to see what is the new form of entertainment, right? What's happening? What is being said? Let's go learn something. All Paul did was stay in one hall and discuss daily the things of God. And the whole continent of Asia heard the word of Jesus. How? He didn't have internet. He didn't have it. He wasn't doing anything. But he strategically placed himself in one place where people are constantly coming and going, coming and going. They're hearing Paul and they're going back to their hometowns. Guys, every day for two years, he discussed daily and the word of God grew. What would happen if Christians, if us, if you, I must challenge you, if you found a way to discuss daily the things of God with somebody? How much more will the word of God grow? 
We're doing it now, and I praise all of you guys for, for showing up on a Sunday as we're doing this. But what if, but this is not a discussion. This is me telling you the play, speaking of football, since it's starting. I'm calling the play. Y'all got to go run the play. You know, what, what, what kind of a situation would it be when the quarterback says, all right, we're all together, guys. All right, here we go. All right, power sweep left, right. All right, break. And we go out, and I'm like, all right, set, hut. And then now everyone's running their own thing. But I'm getting sacked, right? This is a disaster, bro. We're looking like a hot mess. And so, no, like, guys, if we did this, discuss daily, not just weekly, not just periodically, but if you spent daily time with God, with yourself and with others, how much more would the word of God grow? And it does. Because those of us, from the we, we know when we do it, we see a difference here. And so, guys, I want to challenge you with something very difficult. And again, I knew it. Remember, this is one of those verses, and I'm like, man, this one's hard. Because there's nothing like, wow, we're saved. Okay, bro, I knew that, dude. I knew that. John 3, 16, right? For God, help me out, guys. Type it online. For God so loved the world and gave his one and only son, right? So that whomever would believe would right? Help me out. Not perish. They won't die. But instead, they're going to have eternal life. Now, depending on how you memorize that, that might have flipped some of y'all up. Oh, did I forget? Most of them, you know, I know some that they may live and not die, die, not live, whatever. Okay, whatever. But that sounds so just like meh, right? We've heard that. So many of us, we've heard that a thousand times. But some of us have forgotten. The Ephesian church forgot. Guys, do you remember who you were? Do you remember your circumstance before God? Do you remember how hopeless your circumstances were? See, the problem is, if he's saying remembers, because they forgot. They forgot what God had did, how far God had brought them. Maybe they were focused on how much farther we have to go, which, guys, is normal for all of us. You and I can look and say, man, I'm, look at me, look at that, bro, oh my gosh. And so we all got a far way to go. But can you pause and look backwards and say how far God has brought you? And if all God has brought you is from not saved to saved, that is far enough. That is far enough. Because without Christ, it, Paul said we were without hope. Without Christ, we were without, without hope. But now with Christ, we have hope within. And we have healing within. We have a help within because that is the Holy Spirit of the living God. And so instead of hardening our hearts and slandering the way, some of us, some people slander the way by words and some slander in their actions. Do not slander the way. We are called to surrender further, sink further, soak further the way of God, the way that he is, the kind of God that he is, and, and what he's done. And guys, he doesn't tell us to do something on our own strength. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He says, I will empower you, help you, grow you. The more you sink in and trust me and let John 3, 16 really sink in on another level. For God loved and not just love, but so loved a dark, dismissive, treasonous, sinful, wicked world that he gave. He didn't ask for us to give. He gave his one, only son. So that anyone, who's the anyone? anyone so all you so that anyone who would do what believe guys notice he says so that oh everyone will believe and behave no he just says so that everyone who would just believe would not die 
but instead you would have what? Everlasting life. And everlasting life is not just something that, well, I'm waiting for the everlasting life to kick in when I die. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that you may know God now. Guys, that's an another level of eternal life. We have a different eternal life right now. So if there was something that we would and I would want you to know, it's to further grow in the knowledge of God, who he is, and what he has accomplished for you. The eternal life that Christ has provided for us is more than just future guarantee. It is a present reality. Again, I'm going to say it again. It is a present reality. To have our sins forgiven, to have peace between us and God, peace that reigns in our hearts, and not a, an emotional peace, but a peace that's a result of knowing what has God done? Who is this God? And the fact that he also dwells within me. I pray that you may sink and soak up this truth further. The truth that's found in John 3, 16 and beyond. That not only do you have life and you will not die, but that life that resides in you is the very living Holy Spirit of God.